All right. So Scott said something in his prayer about us taking a slow hike through these first chapters of Genesis. That's exactly what we are doing. We are going slowly through Genesis 1 through 3, taking the summer and like, like a slow hike. We're stopping along the way. We're, you know, picking up things off the ground. We're looking around. We're talking to each other, trying to take in as much as we can. So, uh, we are well into the journey. Uh, we are at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. I want to give you a quick flyover review. I don't want, but I want to be careful because the last few weeks I've, I've given like way in depth reviews and we've just gone way over time. So quick flyover review. Here's what we have learned so far before we read the scripture for today. We learned that this of creation is fundamentally about God. This is a theological story, if you will. This is not, even though it has something to say about who we are, and we'll see that in today's text, it's not really about us. We're not the main characters. It's about God. And even though it has something to say about the, the nature of the physical world and universe, that's uh, not really the subject. The subject is God. And we have learned that. We have learned that God, whose Father, Son, and Spirit, the Holy Trinity, created the universe out of nothing. And that was during a period of time called the beginning. Uh, but we don't know exactly when that was. It could have been before these six days. It could have been in the morning of what's listed as day one. It could have been real short. It could have been real long. The, the Bible just doesn't say. And that answers or provides an answer for maybe a lot of our scientific questions. Uh, but, but again, that's not really what the text is focused on. And so we don't want to get caught up there. Uh, we have learned that the focus of the six days of creation is a land, Hebrew word eris, which is often translated and translated in my Bible as earth, uh, is a land that God is forming and filling to be a place for his people to dwell, to be like a temple where people would live in his presence. We learned that at the beginning where it says the spirit was over the waters, uh, the waters that were he would part and bring out the land. That's that's like a the language there, the image is of, of a mother bird covering over her young. And we see all throughout scripture over and over and over again, uh, this image of God, the whole Holy Spirit being like a bird that covers his people. My favorite spot we see that is in the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus, the waters part over his head, whether he was dunked or sprinkled, we don't know. Uh, and now here comes the Holy Spirit, like a bird over him. Uh, really beautiful. So then last week, we looked at the first three days of creation. Day one, where God separates light and dark, names them day and night, and sort of Starts the clock with time. Day two, where God separates water from water and names uh, names the sky and sort of starts the weather. And then day three, where God separates the water from the vegetation bearing dry ground, names them land or eres, earth, and sea. And we put all these things together in these first three days, and we see God doing a work of preparation. He's preparing the land for something specific. He prepares the land by um, starting the clock on time. There's a beginning of the story now. Uh, The story is going and it's moving towards an end. He prepares it by weather and clouds and uh, a place where 
crops can be raised, and he prepares it um, by uh, by clearing out a specific space. And all those things together, we see this land that he has made for people. And that's as far as we are. So that's where we're picking up. So if you have your worship guide or your Bible or whatever you like to use, your Internet or whatever, uh, let's read Genesis 1, 14 through 31. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times. And let them be lights in the vault or the expanse of the sky and give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. And God set them in the vault of the sky or the expanse to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and in, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw, all that, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for your word that it never goes out and returns to, back to you empty, but it always accomplishes your purposes.
Lord, I pray that in this time the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, so days four through six, creation days four through six. The big question for today is, what is going on? That was the question for last week in days one through three. What's going on in days one through three? And we saw that God was doing a work of preparation. He was separating, he was naming, he was forming the land. Now we see in day four that four through days four through six that God is doing a similar work, but going a little bit further. Back at the beginning of this, it says in verse two that the earth or the land was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We already talked about that picture of God like a like a bird over the waters and everything that means bringing out life. But the first part of that verse, the land or the earth was formless and empty. Very often, especially in Western Christian traditions, the idea of the earth being formless and empty has looked more like uh, Greek philosophy than Hebrew Bible. Somewhere along the line, this uh, Hellenistic idea of the earth before creation as a primordial chaos got into the mind of Western, and by Western I mean the traditions that we came from, Western Bible scholars. But when we just read the text, the, the best we know how, trying to take it at face value, we, we don't see that God created a world that was a chaos, chaotic soup and then had to come back a second time to clean it up. No. We see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, everything there is. And then the land, the earth, the, the ground that he had planned to bring his people into, that land was formless and empty because it was covered with water. So we see in the first three days, he forms the formless land. He divides the water, he brings it up, makes it do vegetation, the whole deal. And now we see, so days one through three, work of forming, the preparation. It's formless and empty, so God came in and he formed it. Now, in these last three days, we see him coming in to fill the land. He formed the land, now he's going to fill the land. It was formless and empty. And all of this happens under his wings, under his presence. So, days one through three, what was going on? Well, God was preparing the land and by forming it. Days four through six, what's going on? God is filling the land. And then here's the cool part. By ordaining its inhabitants. Okay, Charlie, you lost me there. <laughs> Let me show you. Let's go back and let's start with God filling the empty sky, sea, and land. It says that uh, on day four, it says that God said, Let there be lights in the vault or the expanse of the sky. Let them separate the day and the night. Let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and days and years. 
Let them be, let there be lights in the vault or the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. So before, on, during the first three days, we had God, you know, separating water from water and creating this, some say vault, some say expanse, this space. And that was the sky. Now what God is doing is, now we're seeing the sky is filled with sun and with moon and also stars. God is filling the space, if you will. Day one corresponds to day four. We have in day one, there's a separation between day and night. Now there are lights, that some that go with the day and some that go with the night. Day one and day four correspond. Day two and day five also correspond. In day two, God separates water from water, sky from sea, and then on day five, he fills the sky and the sea with with uh, birds and with fish and sea creatures. Do you see that? Day three and day six, God on day three, God separates the fruit-producing land from the sea, and then on day six, he fills that land with animals and with people. So if... We don't do the, you know, like slides, big screen thing, or some people use the chalkboard, you know, like Tim Mackey or R.C. Sproul, people much cooler than me. Uh, we don't do any of that, so you have to use your imagination. But if we, if we really concentrate, we might be able to see it. Here's God, like a mother bird, over the land, and then he starts to work, and we have day one, day two, day three, and then day four, day five, day six, and they parallel. And right at the bottom, if you're imagining this with me, we have uh, day seven, which is Sabbath, which we'll get to in a few weeks. But the reason I'm pointing out the structure, or as Bible scholars call it, this framework of how this lines up in parallel is because it shows us that this particular text uh, was crafted by Moses, the author, and then the, if, if there were any editors, and you know, they were inspired also by the Holy Spirit, Hebrew editors. What we have here is inspired by God, but written by human beings, uh, trustworthy and true. What we see is even though the genre of this section of Bible is not poetry, it's prose, it does have a poetic edge. It's crafted in a poetic kind of way. Poetry in the Bible is really obvious, especially if you have a good English translation like the NIV or ESV or something like that because they reformat the text. And But so this section here is not poetry. We see poetry when we read Psalms or Proverbs or things like that. But this section is definitely prose, but it's uh, it has a poetic character about it. It's structured in a certain way. I'm pointing out all of this because when we read this, the text itself, the actual writing, is signaling us, saying there is a deeper meaning here. (laughs) Uh, Don't just read this in a linear way. And for those of us who, I would assume, maybe most of us who grew up in Western Greek-influenced Western thinking, we want to read this in a linear start-to-finish way, but the text itself is saying, don't do that. 
So there's something deeper here. God is doing more than just filling with sun and moon and stars and fish and water mammals and uh, insects and animals and people. And that's where this, uh, well, so let's first, what's, God fills the empty spaces, sky, land, and sea. And then, but that's not all that's going on. He, there's something else. And I, we get a clue to it with this business about the two great lights being appointed as rulers over the day and the night. Look at uh, the day four thing. So that would be like verse 14. It says, let there be lights in the expanse or the vault of the sky that separate day from night. Huh. Do you guys remember back in the first day when God God said, let there be light and separate the day and the night? You guys remember that separating day and night was something that God has already done? Now he's saying, let there be lights to separate day and night. That's that's interesting. God is saying, let this these lights do the thing that I'm doing. These lights we know as the sun and the moon. And then it says there were also stars. And we'll get back to that. But God tells the sun and moon to do the thing that he himself is doing. That's fascinating. And then it says, uh, let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and days and years. Or in the what we have in the worship guide, the which is a slightly different translation than what I have in front of me, is to, to mark the sacred times. God has already instituted time. Remember that? The first day. And now he's saying, let these lights mark the time. But the seasons, years, the sacred times. That's interesting. So here we have a sun and a moon. Oh, and by the way, he doesn't call the sun and moon by their names. You notice that? Two great, two lights, a greater light and a lesser light. Something here is going on. There's something to this. God appoints these two lights as rulers, but there's something else here. What it is, is he is ordaining them to play a priestly role in his creation. Okay, Charlie, slow that one down. So I'm a minister, right? I'm the pastor of our church. I've been here in August, it will be a year. Those of you who were here, do you remember a year, almost a year ago when I, when I first came? You spent a long time looking for a pastor and you got one. It's pretty awesome. I spent a long time looking for a church and I got one. It's really awesome. So this is not just my job. It is my job, and I'm thankful for it, but I was a pastor before I was hired here. I was working in ministry before I became a pastor. So my job doing pastor things, and my, I guess the word would be maybe identity as an ordained minister, they go together, but there's not necessarily a one-to-one on the timeline. I was preaching sermons and doing these things before I was examined uh, by our presbytery 
before I went before the church and people laid hands on me and ordained me to gospel ministry. And I've been doing that work ever since. So let me, let me just say this a different way. Kind of like, actually, very much like when I grew up and decided to follow God's call to serve the church and I started working as a minister, that was all good and well. But there was a point in time in my life where as a minister, I was examined by the church, I was set apart, elders laid hands on me, they prayed that I would receive a certain kind of spiritual gift, gift for ministry, and God did something in that time. I'm not sure I can explain it to you. But in one way, all in one church service, God said, Charlie, you're going to serve me in this way. And the church said, together with him, Charlie's going to serve in this way. I went through an ordination. So do most ministers. What we see here in this text is that the two great lights, they, God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. The sun and the moon were already there. But God is setting them apart, setting them apart for a specific purpose, setting them apart for a specific purpose to serve his people. He was ordaining them. How do we know that? Well, we know that because they were ordained to do the work that God was already doing, separating light and dark. And they were ordained to mark the time specifically for days, seasons, and sacred times. And if we continue to read the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, once we get past Genesis, we get into Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we see that for many, many pages and many, many words, God gives very specific instructions for his people on how to worship him, And those instructions are dependent upon a calendar. Worship him on the seventh day. Worship him in uh, the seven times seven, 49th year. Worship him on the Sabbath. Worship him on in this month for the Passover, in this month for uh, 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 this festival, in this month for this festival. And there's all kinds of calendar. Here in this book, the Pentateuch. So, God sets the sun and the moon apart to rule in this priestly way. Not only to govern in this physical world, but to be governing points of reference in the spiritual life of his people. Now, here's where it gets really rich. He doesn't call them by name. It's not sun and moon. It's greater light, lesser light. Do you know why? We've learned and talked about how Moses wrote this text for the people of Israel in between their captivity in Egypt and their entrance into the promised land. God led the people out of Egyptian slavery using Moses, brought them to Sinai, made a covenant with them, gave them his law. They wandered around the desert for 40 years, and then God led them into the land of promise. In between the land of promise and the land of slavery, God gives them this 
text with a story about a land that he has set apart, that he has formed for them, that he is calling them to fill. And now he points out a greater light and a lesser light to govern the sacred times. But he doesn't use their names because their names that these people would have known are also the names of God's back in Egypt, who affirmed and participated in their slavery. Do you see it? Sun and moon, in the language that they knew in their time and place, were names of gods, gods that had enslaved them. And now the Lord God Almighty, the one true God, is saying, this sun and this moon that you formerly knew in the days of your slavery are no longer gods to you. They are my servants. And yes, they rule, but they do not rule in your oppression. They rule toward your liberation, toward your relationship with me. So I have set two great lights to govern the sacred times. Moses was writing this. This was theologically confrontational. And it was anthropologically liberating for the people. So, when we read on, we have the sun and the moon. Also, there were stars. It's like Moses wants us to know, these are part of the thing, but the two great lights are the rulers and the priestly, they do the priestly thing. Now we read on, and on the next day, God fills this, you know, the seas and the sky, and then the next day, God fills the land with animals and all kinds of things, and then he gets to creating people. And it says... Uh, Let me read it from the text so it's not coming from my imagination. Then God said, let us make man or mankind. That's a that term there is for humanity as a whole. That's not just dudes. Even, you know, English has changed over time. It used to be if you said man, that meant all people. But in our culture, it doesn't always quite mean that it can be confusing. So mankind God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created him or them. That's mankind as a whole. And male and female, he created them. Men and women together. And says, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Rule. And then he goes on to say, all this seed-bearing fruit vegetation, it's yours for food. And for all these animals, it's theirs for food. What we're getting at here is God sets the stage using the sun and the moon as examples Showing the people, it's like he says, watch me ordain. What you thought were gods are actually my servants to facilitate your worship. Watch me do this. Now you, men and women, people of Israel on your journey into the land, I have made you in my image and your job is to rule. Your job is to facilitate flourishing. Do you see it? Next Sunday, we'll go 
down deep with what it means that men and women are made in the image of God. But we just want to touch on it here for a second. This ruling business. I love how it says in Psalm 8 that God uh, puts creation in subjection to mankind. He puts people in charge. And he makes the world uh, the food for the people. He's instilling a kind of hierarchy here. And the hierarchy is men and women over the earth for the purpose of bringing it into flourishing. Do you see it? But here's where it gets really complex. We see in this story that God had created the world for people and that God creates people for the world. And mankind, men and women together, are supposed to rule and facilitate and play this priestly role facilitating worship and flourishing under the wings of God. But is that the story that you see when you look out into the world around us? No. It's not the story that I see. I do believe it's the story that we all long for to be true. That men and women together would serve in a priestly role in the world. And that they would be able to serve the world and the world would serve them and that people would live responsibly for the benefit of all of creation together as a community. But that's not what we see in the world. In fact, just the story about men and women being designed by God to rule is kind of offensive because when we ourselves at least in our time and place, the whole life that I've known, I know I'm only 38, but when I think about somebody ruling over somebody else or over something, that's not a good image. That's not comfortable. Because the sort of ruling that I know hardly ever turns out super great for the person or the thing on the bottom. We see in this that God instilled a kind of hierarchy in the world. A people-centric world. And that was good for everybody. It was good for worship. It was even good for animals and plants. But when we look out into the world, that's not what it looks like. And you know, we're going to get to this part in the story, but we'll just point it, looking forward... What's happened in the world is that we have forsaken this story of being priestly rulers together as men and women. And we have reached for another story where we don't want to be priestly rulers. We want to be gods. And the only other point of reference so far for godness outside of the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who's over the land forming and filling, is this Egyptian sun and moon slave master God business. So as a people, we were created for a kind of flourishing and a kind of belonging that we ourselves have been blowing for years, opting instead to try to be gods ourselves. And this text says, look at the sun and the moon. 
That's where you're supposed to be. Like Psalm 19, when we read it before, a few weeks ago, says the heavens declare the glory of God. And folks, you and I live lives trying to be God's ourselves and the responsibility and the roles that we do have, even if we're good parents, even if we're good managers, even if we're good bosses, even if we're good citizens, we can't go about life without hurting people pridefully putting other people in their place below us. We look back at humanity and we don't see men and women together ruling. We see men trying to rule over women. We see women trying to declare independence from men. We see people at war with each other. We see humankind destroying the creation in the earth. We see pollution. We see trash. We see slavery and we see oppression. So the question is, why is God telling this story that obviously doesn't seem to be going on anymore to Moses, his prophet, to the people as they move into the land? They're not going to live up to this. We can't live up to this. Why is he telling this story? Because he is preparing them for a new man who's going to come, for a new humanity. That he's going to raise up out of the waters, cover with his spirit, who's going to rule as king of ages with justice and with equity and with love and care, empowering his people, men and women, to be priests in his kingdom. He's preparing the people. So the question as we close is, as I tell this story and how it's all gone wrong, is God preparing in your heart a longing for the new man himself, Jesus Christ, the only one who has ever lived into true humanity? And do you want to follow after him into this land as the people followed Moses? Because that's the invitation of the gospel. He is the image of God. He leads us into flourishing. Our own iron-fisted attempts to dominate one another and fix the problems in the world using our own methods will never, ever, ever work. The only way into the land, into flourishing, is following Jesus into it. Let's pray.